1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Bunch of stuff out there to talk about. I fell asleep uh, right before the All-Star Game last night, the MLB All-Star Game. But the National League won, and they don't win often. Two on, two out, and a 2-2 pitch from Ramirez. Um, I didn't talk about it the other day, but I love the home run derby this year, uh, even though I was sad that there were two players missing from it. Uh, Shohei Otani uh, probably should have been in that thing. And then Aaron Judge, if he were healthy and not hurt, and I don't think he would have participated even if he was healthy because he said it screwed up his swing, I think, a couple of years ago. But it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the All-Star game, I don't know if people watch that as much. Uh, I know baseball is considered a, a diminishing in popularity sport, and that's a crime. It's very sad to me. Uh, but then I slept through a majority of the All-Star game last night. And I am glad it no longer, like, determined stuff. Uh, like, who gets home field for uh, the World Series? Because that was insane uh, when that was a thing going on. I'm not, I'm not wrong about that, right? Somebody text me, 309-340-4464, if that was a rule change I missed. 309-340-4464, because, uh, again, I wasn't awake uh, watching the game last night. All right, let's talk about some political things. Actually, let's just play some audio first. Let's do this. I don't even really need to say stuff after I play this. It's pretty funny on its own. Uh, have you ever been in a conversation where someone took way too many steps backward? At one point, you're like, oh, yeah, let's talk about something. And maybe it's that they assume you're very, very dumb. Uh, I feel like that's one component to someone who goes way too many steps in the backward direction or something else might occur here. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I knew that part. We can we can jump ahead a little bit. Uh, our vice president very recently uh, did this, where she took way too many steps to over-explain things nobody needs for any reason whatsoever. AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's first of all, it's two letters. <laughs> it means artificial intelligence. Whoa, what? But ultimately what it is is it's about machine learning. Okay. And so the machine is taught, taught. To learn. And, and part it. of the issue here <laughs> is what information uh -huh. is going into, into the, the machine. machine. Yeah, yeah. And that then, will then determine, <laughs> and, and we can predict then, if we uh -huh. think about what machine, what, what information is going in, yeah. what then will be produced in terms what, of decisions and opinions. Well, what's going what's gonna to come out of the machine? If you teach the machine, if it learns, it's machine learning. Uh, that's what AI is. I love sometimes it feels like um, she's taking a test and no one told her what the topic was. And then as soon as the, the camera goes on and the, the light turns on and everything, she looks up and she's like, oh, I know nothing about this. Let me try to somehow talk about this in a way that makes sense. AI is two letters. <laughs> I love that part so much. It means artificial intelligence, but really, really the deep, dark secret, the thing you're not aware of is the machine learning, where it's learning the stuff with the machine stuff. <laughs> uh, other things out there, I'll just move on to this. Uh, Chris Christie, you know what's interesting about him? Uh, he is running for president. He is unlikely to do well on the Republican side of the aisle and is currently not uh, doing well at all. And I doubt many people are huge Chris Christie guys. Like I, I don't think I know anyone at all who's like, you know, the one person I really need to win this thing or really be on the stage for any sort of debate is Chris Christie. Well, at least not for Republicans. Some Democrats very much love themselves. A little bit of Chris Christie in the morning uh, when you're uh, playing the TV, when you're watching the news of the day. Uh, because what I mean by that is he's saying things that feel like they're built uh, to be used by the political party opposite of Republicans and say, see, a Republican said this thing. 
that we also say that we also think he is defending FBI Director Christopher Wray in this audio. And so if I wanted to be disingenuous and talk to you today, I could say, look, a Republican believes that the Republicans that are actually grilling uh, Ray and talking about whether or not the FBI has some sort of bureaucratic bias, which most bureaucracies do. Uh, there's actually studies independent of the time we're in right now uh, that says that people who lean to the left, people who vote Democratic, uh, wind up gravitating toward positions in all the different parts of our government that are not elected positions, more so than Republicans do. A lot of people who wind up leaning conservative, Republican, uh, gravitate toward the um, the actual private sector. They gravitate toward a business, not toward government. So that that's just simply true. That's a thing that exists. I know there's exceptions to the rules. I'm not saying everybody agrees on all the same stuff, uh, but for the most part, uh, the data seems to back up that a lot of a lot of these organizations uh, that exist as a a part of our society, a part of our country, are overwhelmingly democratic in their ideology. Uh, Chris Christie doesn't care. He wants you to know that it's all ridiculous, and he's out there, uh, the FBI director, defending uh, the people who work at the FBI, and Chris Christie is thus defending him. Governor, I'm sure you saw some of the Chris Ray hearing across the street from me on Capitol Hill uh, that's been running on Fox all day. Uh, he was an attorney for you in 2013 during the Bridgegate uh, scandal. Um, I believe you also recommended him to former President Trump to be FBI director. What do you think of his tenure there? Has the FBI lost credibility? And do you believe that the reforms that Ray insists that he has implemented will fix the problems that the FBI has had in the last few years? I think they are starting to fix those problems, as the director talked about today. Look, um, I've known Chris for a long time. We worked together in the Bush Justice Department in the post-9-11 period, and he did an extraordinary job. And, yeah, I did recommend him to President Trump, and I'm proud that I did. Those things that they were talking about today, and the director made this point over and over again, are all things from when Jim Comey, Eric Holder, and Loretta Lynch were in charge of the Justice Department before he got put in charge. He fired the entire Comey leadership team out of the FBI. They're all gone. And he put these reforms in place, which are now showing extraordinary results. <laughs> um, is it all fixed? Of course it's not all fixed. Jim Comey and Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch drastically harmed the Department of Justice and the FBI. And Chris Ray has now spent years fixing that. Um, He's now, an amazing are there going to be disagreements? Of course. There are always going to be disagreements between Congress <laughs> and the executive. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes on to say uh, what you saw today was an animated and combative FBI director who's defending the men and women who work for him every day and protecting us from Democrat, uh, domestic excuse me, terrorism. Uh, what I find very – I should have said democratic terrorism. Uh, what I find very interesting, again, about that – is right now the political party that is Republicans, uh, for the most part, are aligned in trying to pressure, push, and gain more information from the FBI to understand if bias exists. And there are whistleblowers uh, that says it, it does. And I know there's a lot of whistleblowers recently. They're, they're coming out of the woodwork. Uh, people dismiss them. Um, other people obviously think they're all telling the truth. Uh, I uh, lean on the side of I want more information whenever a whistleblower uh, comes out and says something. Uh, but I'm certainly not someone who just puts my fingers in my ears and ignores it immediately. That seems, uh, well, reckless. Uh, but what I, f again, find so interesting about Chris Christie is he's basically a Republican candidate for president in name only. Uh, I don't mean to just reference the whole rhino thing, but as a as a person out there being propped up, and granted, that's Fox News, uh, but propped up by a lot of media and replayed by a lot of media. And I know I just played him, too. I just find it fascinating uh, that he's so out of line uh, in a lot of the ways that a lot of 
uh, his party right now is going. And I want to play one other thing, and I'll take a break. We've got some guests coming in in a bit, but I do find this fascinating. Uh, this is uh, Jim Jordan just absolutely owning uh, Jerry Nadler. Uh, Nadler goes on this little bit of a rant uh, and keeps mispronouncing a name, and Jim Jordan had none of it uh, just right after. I find this amusing for one reason and one reason only. It doesn't matter if it's Republican versus Democrat. Uh, that's not the reason I want to play it. Uh, the reason I like it is that I imagine a whole lot of politicians very, very often do very little of the homework they're supposed to be doing for us, for our country. And this is one of those moments where someone gets caught with the hand in the cookie jar and they show that they did very little homework. Chairman Jordan has claimed that Mr. Tuono said he had, quote, no idea, unquote, why the Mar-a-Lago investigation was run out of the FBI's Washington field office instead of the Miami field office. What the chairman hides is that just seconds later, Mr. D'Antuono explained that, quote, the venue was here, meaning Washington, D.C. Just for the record, the pronunciation of the former assistant director in charge of the Washington field office is D'Antuono, something that <laughs> ranking member might have known if he'd actually shown up at the deposition. Like I just, I just, like I did. Hold on, hold on. I should play the little last part. I did. Like I did. I was there at the deposition. He was not. He didn't care. His opinion doesn't matter uh, because he didn't even bother to show up. I, I feel like this is a thing that happens a whole lot all the time on both sides of the political aisle in the world of politics is people get briefed by somebody who works for them. Uh, they throw some stuff out there. They go home. They feel great about the job they've done and they don't care. They don't revisit or even think about it uh, probably a second time. And that's one of those moments where it's very nice to be like, you know, you're not even saying the guy's name correctly. Uh, in your uh, rant about how I'm getting stuff wrong and he uh, said things that I didn't care to repeat. You don't even know who the person is. It feels like a, a, a swing and a miss um, in the, my world, in a lot of people's world. All right, quick break. As I said, guests coming up in a bit. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Got a couple guests in the studio at Cornstock Theater, another show. Actually, Helen has been in this studio a few times. How are you doing? How are I you? am fine, and I'm so glad that we're able to talk to you today. I'm thrilled to have you guys on. We also have uh, Benji Miller here. Uh, he is also in the next play, at the uh, next musical yes. at the Cornstock Theater, The Drowsy Chaperone. Who wants to tell me what this is, what this is all about? Okay, uh, we're going to go with Benji. Yeah, so um, oh, we're really excited to, pre to perform uh, The Drowsy Chaperone. Um, it's a musical, um, which basically is um, – it, it's framed from this narrative of this man. Who, his character name is Man in the Chair. Um, and he Nice. Is, I'm, I'm glad they didn't work very hard at the beginning parts. Yeah. <laughs> man in the Chair. All right, go yeah, that's his name, Man in the Chair. And he's feeling a little sad, so he turns to his favorite musical, which is uh, this 1928 musical, The Drowsy Chaperone. Um, and throughout this show, you kind of learn about um, the man in chairs uh, – personal life and how he's really using this musical as a way to escape his uh, situation in life, which is uh, kind of a little sad, um, but just kind of the way how uh, we use um, things like musical theater or gotcha. books or TV to escape and to get to a better place. And um, so that's kind of the musical. And then the musical within a musical is just kind of nonsense, you know, sure. of a pair of lovers who want to um, go and get married, but my character, a producer named Feldzig, which is a play on Ziegfeld's Follies, um, sure. he doesn't want that to happen because then he'll lose his leading lady, and so gotcha. that's just a bunch of mayhem. So this this musical was written in the late 90s. I saw that. I looked that up as I was chatting with you uh, both, and it won a bunch of awards, um, and so it's very funny. Uh, the tagline, a musical within a comedy, is what they said about it, but uh, the thing that's played for laughs and what you just described about the man in the chair is that he's 
in love with this musical from the 20s. And so there's a lot of timely jokes. There's a lot of uh, this oh. was going on in the 20s that doesn't go on anymore of versions of humor or what? It's definitely, yeah. I mean, there's uh, these, these tropes in old musical theater. Is there a lot are... of like innocence to the 20s that we see throughout the play, throughout the musical? Or I, no? I think from the point of view of, of our of our acting uh, group, we are totally innocent because we just love what we're doing. Nice. Okay. We, we never, we never, we never think of anything but just pure joy when, sure. whenever we do our, our scene. Okay, so who are you playing, Helen? I'm playing Mrs. Tottendale. I am the uh, the heiress to a lot of money, and I am definitely a little bit forgetful. Gotcha. So I repeat myself <laughs> a lot, but it, it tends to be funny because sure. we, we say, what? why is she doing this? And then we go on from there. But I have to tell you, all the scenes are pure joy and complete, wonderful comedy from 21 of us sure. who are – in the show together. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I know that I've talked to you about a few different other shows that you've done uh, in the world of Peorian theater, and they're all over the place. There's drama. There's hard-hitting. And I remember, I think, one of the last conversations we had, uh, The Death of a Salesman, was a show that you were in. And you said that you're someone who has musical theater background and all this other stuff. So you'd you'd like to stretch those muscles. It seems to be one of the biggest benefits to going to the Cornstock Theater is the variety of shows, the variety of of different things you'll see. And so if you've seen something recently that doesn't sound similar to what they're describing today, uh, go out and see this show because it's going to be a totally different. And as you said, it sounds like just a very fun experience. Absolutely. From the moment we we are on to the end, it is just Pure joy. So is it fun creating this show then? If the whole intention is to just entertain the pants off the audience, is that something that the entire time we've been doing rehearsal and everything, it's been infectious I, that way? I think we as actors and actresses are are creative in our own right. We find our own way to to portray these people in this show. Sure. Everybody's just totally different, and that's why I think it's so unique. Gotcha. You'll never find another character like Mrs. Dottendale or Feltzik. Yes. We're all completely different. Tell me a little bit more about Feltzig. What are your favorite things about playing that character? Well, my absolute favorite thing is that um, in in the show, um, Feldzig is, uh, as the man in chair says, he plays opposite his real-life wife. Mm -hmm. And so I actually get to play opposite my real-life wife. Uh, Wow. She plays um, the character Kitty, um, and she's just delightful. Uh, She's so funny. Um, And just Mm -hmm. to be on stage to share our passions together, um, to make people laugh and to entertain, that's um, that, that's, that's what it's all about for that me. That is, so. amen, what it's all about. My wife works here at this uh, oh, company. Awesome. Yes, yeah, so we both work together. I'm curious, though, since it's the play or since it's, you're in the musical, um, you know, characters, do you guys fight? Do your two characters fight at any point during the show? Was um, there a moment during a conflict <laughs> where you're like, that's not the play? That's something else that's coming out? Uh, Just curious. Like, there's yes. definitely conflict. Okay. Uh, there's, yes. uh, yeah. Helena says yes. Yeah, yeah because, you. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to get, through to a certain person in my life sure. in, the, in the in the play, and he's played by Bill Chardini, and he plays Underling, oh, gotcha. which is my a wonderful name for a butler, right? But I'm <laughs> wow, saying, okay, yeah, you're Underling that, you're is that a, kind of character. Isn't I gotcha. that wonderful? Yes, I love is. those names. It's Felsic, Underling, yeah. and mm-hmm. and I we just get I try to get through to him in many ways, and there is a little bit of conflict at the beginning, but then gotcha. don't worry, there will be romance at the end. Have you also been in shows uh, with your husband, uh, Helena? No. Okay. Uh, I think my husband is the ultimate 
uh, fan of musical gotcha. theater and drama. Every, he he gotcha. just he enjoys being in the audience, mm-hmm. just you know watching, just watching yeah, and yes. staying out of it, not being worried. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he's um, a total fan. Okay, so the show is uh, running on the 14th through the 22nd. The shows are at 7:30 every single night. Uh, that's a long run uh, for the Cornstock Theater. Uh, so you can get your tickets online. You can get your tickets at the door, although I think it's more expensive to do it that way. There's always food, uh, specific food to every Cornstock show. Mm-hmm. Uh, what food will be at this one? Yeah, so we'll have Avanti's um, out at the tent uh, every single night, which I'm really excited about. My wife, as I mentioned, she's really excited about. In fact, I think she's looking forward to Avanti's being there more than performing. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. So <laughs> then awesome. we've got Avanti's and um, Popcorn, popcorn Heaven. Popcorn Heaven brings a variety of different mm-hmm. popcorns for you to enjoy during the show. Cool. Uh, anything else we should know about it before oh, I let you guys there will be refreshments there, and some will be adult refreshments, too. Good. So. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I like a, a nice musical comedy with uh, with an alcoholic beverage. Sure. It feels yeah. even better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Drowsy uh, Chaperone. It plays, as I said, from the 14th through the 22nd. Uh, Cornstock Theater with the R-E spelling dot com is how you grab those tickets. Uh, thank you both for coming in and chatting oh, with us. Thank you so Great. much. Yep. Uh, Will's got your news. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thank you to the guests from the Cornstack Theater and their newest show opening up uh, this weekend, The Drowsy Chaperone. Check it out. It should be a lot of fun, uh, very funny, musical. Uh, those are all the things they said and actually won a bunch of awards. I, I've not heard of the show. I was looking it up, so it should be a great time. Uh, and the favorite thing about the Cornstock Theater, I think I heard Greg and Dan mention this uh, in their chat uh, with some other um, people that are going to be in the show. Uh, they have fans that point toward you, the audience. The actors have to deal with the heat, but if it's hot some of those days in the next couple of weeks, and it probably will be, uh, you're not going to have to deal with it. Uh, Peoria Civic Center is going to um, sell its naming rights. Uh, this is something I think they've been talking about for a bit, but it, it sounds like it's officially uh, a thing now. And so I wanted people to text in with their suggestions for what the Peoria Civic Center should be named or who they'd want to buy it uh, that would then name it. 309-340-4464. That's something you can do throughout the show. 309-340-4464. I will read the best ones as far as names, your ideas, uh, the audience, uh, for names of the uh, Peoria Civic Center. And I guess even Carver Arena, if you could rename I assume they wouldn't. Uh, but maybe you rename that, too. Uh, but that's all out there, interesting in the world uh, here locally. Uh, I do want to um, shift gears to some things that are going on, at least uh, more virally in the world of politics. Uh, this this one is interesting to me. Uh, and I'm not necessarily a person that wants to dive deep into conversations like this on my show. And I've, I've told you why uh, before, uh, because some of these debates we have in our society I don't have much information about them. I'm not involved uh, with the groups that are saying uh, that they're unfairly treated. I'm I'm not a parent. I don't have any kids that I, I would specifically be worried about, say, some of the conversations going on at schools, but I easily understand them. Uh, but it's going viral. It's all over the place. Uh, CNN misgendered. Uh, that's what uh, the word is to describe this. Uh, Dylan Mulvaney in coverage about uh, Bud Light and about LGBTQ communities that are pushing back after a boycott of some kind. But this this happened a few times, and it was just sort of ignored. And apparently it has actually made uh, those who typically watch uh, CNN, which would be a lot of uh, people that I think lean politically more to the left than to the right, uh, very, very mad at CNN, uh, which means that they're in trouble after they were in trouble uh, also for the uh, Trump town hall or other things, I find this interesting that there's this kind of backlash and that it, it happened multiple times. 
We even talked to a bar in Chicago. One bar was telling us basically they re they're not going to serve it because they don't like the way Dylan Mulvaney was treated after this whole controversy started. He, of course, is the transgender uh, person they were going to uh, uh, sponsor and go along with with Bud Light. They didn't like how Bud Light didn't stand by him after all this. It, Ryan, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, you got the temperature. He said he and him. Uh, here's the thing, and this is the only thing I want to say about this. Uh, I think in the world we live in right now, if you know someone's political affiliation before you know something else about them or before you believe that you discover something else about them and they were to say do this, uh, say something with the he, him instead of a, a she, her, uh, there's a whole lot of people that get really, really mad because of your politics, uh, because they're upset um, and they believe that this is the reason why. Uh, but because it's CNN and because uh, I think a lot of others believe that this was an honest uh, mistake and that they intended to do it a different way, or whatever the words might be. And I know people uh, have all their opinions about whether or not you should or shouldn't say a certain um, um, you know, words to describe people. I just think it's fascinating because in one sense, your politics – determine whether or not someone is more forgiving to actions that they feel are right or wrong. And it's just odd to me that that's a byproduct of the world in which we live right now. And I think that exists well beyond this uh, simple conversation that I really don't want to talk about anymore. Um, just in general, I think there's a lot of scenarios where someone doesn't even intend, and, and this is the easiest way to describe it, to offend. They're, they're not necessarily worried about offending people, but they don't intend to do it. And there's not a lot of actual hatred uh, that exists. Um, and yet it's described as that uh, so often uh, in the world of this politician said this thing this way. And this makes us mad uh, because this politician is on the side of the aisle that we assume hate exists on, uh, which is in and of itself, I think, a problem, too. Uh, but I just find this fascinating that this is viral, that there are people that are upset, uh, but there are also people who are somewhat forgiving. And it's probably not going to be actually on news anywhere. However, I wonder if it would be in other circumstances. But as I said, I, I don't have a lot of uh, things involved in that conversation, so I'm just going to move on. I'm going to talk about other stuff. I thought this was fascinating. There's an NBC um, reporter. His name is Ben Collins, no relation to me. Uh, they got very upset on Twitter, on social media, because of a, a hit piece, he so-called it, uh, that appeared in, the New York, in New York Magazine about him and about some of the things that he gets right and he gets wrong as a reporter. Um, he was so livid, in fact, that he went on Twitter, uh, which I thought that uh, Meta had destroyed. I guess not. I guess Twitter is going to keep living somehow. Uh, but he went on Twitter and complained about how um, these bleep, bleep uh, people are essentially destroying young reporters. It's wild. And guess who the bosses listen to? Not the young reporters. They listen to the influential people at the cocktail parties. So this um, reporter, this guy named Ben Collins at NBC, is just, is just livid uh, that someone would say that they doubt some of the accuracy of some of the things he's reported on and that it's all about essentially, and I believe this very much to be true, um, um, that when you uh, talk about these sort of things, when you do these things in this way, uh, that essentially what you're you're begging everyone to respond to and, and say to, to the Collins guy is, uh, come on, man, are you are you uh, genuinely trying to turn yourself into a victim? Because as a person who is out there in the news on NBC reporting on stuff, uh, you can't handle criticism of any kind. I think it's it's interesting uh, that so, so frequently uh, those who dislike being targeted for any reason whatsoever – uh, by anyone else. And this could just be a simple disagreement. I say something, you say something else, we disagree on that thing. Uh, the person who, who 
turns themselves into a victim at some point uh, within some of those conversations, which happens a lot, I think loses credibility. I don't think they gain it. And so when a reporter on, um, you know, a, a big station is going out there and complaining that how dare people target me, how dare people try to tear down uh, younger people in a profession, it doesn't make anyone more sympathetic. It makes a lot of people look at that and think, hey, why is this person so upset so quickly in, in this type of situation, in this type of scenario? And it makes you wonder. It actually makes you question more. All right. I do want to talk about Ukraine and about NATO and about all the things um, that are going on there. I have, for the last few months, I think now, uh, shared my opinion about what the United States should be doing that they're not doing in the world of Ukraine. Uh, but Ukraine today pushed harder uh, to be included in NATO, uh, something that won't happen. I don't mean it won't happen uh, ever. I mean it won't happen right now. And most of the uh, countries in NATO have said basically that much because it would it would be reckless to put a country into NATO uh, while they are at war with a country like Russia, because it would create the scenario uh, where you then would have to be at war with Russia as the totality of NATO. So even though uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has been very upset uh, today, and there's a lot of reporting and a lot of uh, viral, say, moments, and we'll get to some later on in the show, it just isn't a logical possibility, even if at some point down the road, a lot of those countries would support Ukraine uh, joining NATO. It just can't happen now. And Vladimir Zelensky actually called this absurd, a refusal to offer an invitation or a timetable for Ukraine and their entry into NATO. Um, but I, I don't know how the rest of the world, not the countries of NATO, wouldn't think of it as those countries declaring war on Russia uh, by putting Ukraine into NATO right now during a time of conflict. And that does matter. Uh, oftentimes, I think when we talk about this or when we report on this or when we think about it uh, from our, our own perspective here in the United States, um, we allow politicians who don't want to tell us that part to not tell us that part, how it would be perceived uh, by countries like, say, China, how they would feel about these sort of things. And they would feel very strongly and very and not saying that you need to be afraid of those other countries, uh, but you also don't want to provoke anyone into thinking that you were the instigators of a conflict uh, between other countries and Russia at a time when you're helping Ukraine defend themselves. So I, I do think an aspect of this and how much it's going to be talked about over the next few days, um, how many politicians will pop up and say certain things uh, is is fascinating, mostly because of how disingenuous a large majority of that must be, because NATO can't actually be contemplating allowing Ukraine to join now. And creating a timeline essentially creates a timeline for the end of a conflict uh, that right now doesn't have a definitive ending. It looks like it might be a long-fought war. Uh, so even that could be considered being provocative on the side of the United States or the other countries in NATO. So I just, I just don't understand uh, this version of a conversation and the way it's going to be, you know, back and forth politicized when it, it simply can't be. But all right, I'll take a break on that note. Uh, 1470 is an AM, 100.3 is an FM. We're going to come back and talk about sillier stuff next on the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about. We're getting a bunch of texts already, uh, 309-340-4464. 
uh, is the phone number to text me to reach out to the show. Uh, it's going right to a cell phone I'm holding in my hands, 309-340-4464. Uh, anything and everything uh, that you want to say is is fair game. Uh, but also specifically, what would you rename the Peoria Civic Center? Uh, the naming rights are on sale. Uh, several people are saying just name it Craig or The Craig, uh, which I love, of course, because it's me and these are listeners that are being nice. But also just because it's the one name, the one, you know, um, uh, version of a name thing, uh, like The Craig, uh, which I think was actually in a, a competition show from when I was a kid. It sounds ominous. It, it sounds uh, scarier. Uh, when you're just doing that. So we're going to go to the Craig or the Craig in this case for Slipknot is what one person texted. That's awesome. Uh, plus $5,000 a year. Uh, that listener also said that's nothing. So that person has the deep pockets. Uh, go ahead and do that, sir, if you want it. But we're going to the Craig tonight. Is yeah, It sounds cool. Uh, other things out there, uh, sillier things uh, to give us a break from the seriousness of the day. Uh, the average person experiences 140 moments of phone peril a year, uh, according to a recent study. Uh, phone peril is any scenario in which your phone will no longer be available to you. Uh, this could be because you broke it. Uh, this could be because the battery is dying or you have battery issues. Uh, it might even overheat or you just forgot it. You just left it places. Uh, this will not be surprising to anyone. Uh, Gen Z and millennials, by far more phone peril uh, than other generations. Uh, Gen Z has 187 moments of phone peril a year on average, so uh, 47 more uh, than people of other, other generations. Uh, millennials just right there behind them, and then it, it tapers off a lot. Uh, we should have phone freedom as another thing. Uh, there should be moments where you purposefully leave your phone for hours on end. It worked for a long time. You weren't contactable 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. Uh, there were times where people had to leave you a message on a, on a voice uh, message machine, uh, on a, on a you know, answering machine. I should say it that way. We had one. Uh, and I actually love doing the answering machine message myself. I don't know if that was like early radio, uh, but as a little kid, I, I wanted to be the person that left the message that people heard. And so I, I did it more than the rest of the family. And so um, that used to exist. We used to find out stuff later, and it used to be fine for everyone. Uh, we could go back to that, and you don't have to go through phone peril in the process. Uh, burger King's newest burger is just a bun with 20 slices of cheese on it. I don't know why I like this so much. Uh, they're calling it a real cheeseburger, uh, which way to go them. Uh, but as I said, it has no actual uh, meat products on it, which means it's not – any sort of uh, sandwich uh, that is missing. That's a missing component that's necessary. I think it's only on sale in places like Thailand is what it says here. Uh, the initial run, they were only charging three bucks for it, but they've actually even sold it as high as $11 in some countries that you can buy a 20 slice of American cheese, real cheeseburger uh, with no meat whatsoever. And it might someday be a thing here available in the United States. I don't know. Uh, but I saw the report on this. There's YouTube videos where people are trying it and reviewing it. And it's it's the dumbest thing, um, not just for the obvious reason uh, that you heard when I said it, that no one should be selling a 20 slice of cheese burger of any kind, but also because you should never buy um, even grilled cheese from most restaurants. I know that sounds wrong. I know people get mad when I say it, but I've said it before. You can make that yourself, man, and you can do pretty well in the world of grilled cheese. Most of us can, even me, a guy who is terrible at cooking and making things, I can toast um, – bread. I can put cheese in between it. I can let the cheese melt and I can enjoy my life. Uh, so I feel like fancier things. Need. I actually, I, I remember doing this at a different radio stop I was at. I would love for someone to bring me in the best grilled cheese 
anywhere in Peoria or tell me where to go get one to try one myself and I'll go do it. And I don't think my take will change. I think that I'll be pretty certain that no matter how great it is, if you don't put a lot of other stuff on it that makes it not a grilled cheese anymore, because if you put another enough food items on it, that's not a grilled cheese. That's something else that we're calling a grilled cheese. If you just make it the regular way, um, it's not going to be uh, better enough than what I can make at home for me to want to spend money on it. Uh, but prove me wrong. Someone, 309-340-4464, text me, uh, tell me why uh, there is a, a great grilled cheese out there that I have to buy uh, somewhere in town. I don't care if it's it's further away than a few hours. Uh, I'm willing to drive. All right. Um, I wanted to talk about one more serious thing. And I'll bring it up again after the news. But I do think it's really interesting. So there's a CNBC article about um, student loan debt forgiveness and what the Biden administration is likely to try next to forgive student loans. And the president has said that the fight is not over. Um, At first, some of the things that were put out there were more about ways in which to save people money over the course of paying back your loan uh, through changing programs like a, a program tied to your income and your disposable income as to how much you're paying back every single month. Your federal loans are not any sort of private ones. And so over time, I guess the math of it and how they changed it, some people, people with very low incomes, would make $20,000, which was the maximum amount of forgiveness in the old plan, over the course of paying back their loan over several, several years. And so that was something that no one seemed to care about. I think they tried to brag about that, the Biden administration, in the hopes that it would spark a lot of people to be like, oh, they gave us forgiveness anyway. But they didn't. And it's not the same thing. And, of course, still a lot of people uh, very much oppose and I oppose uh, student loan debt forgiveness, even though it would help me specifically as I still have some. Uh, But so now there's another uh, thought out there. And whether or not this is something that uh, President Biden tries or something that other politicians promise on the campaign trail, uh, let's say, to get elected because – Uh, That's how that sort of thing works. And they're essentially trying to convince young people uh, that your vote is purchasable, uh, that I promise you ten to twenty thousand dollars as student loan debt forgiveness if you vote this way. Uh, But it would just be going the tried and true direction is what I saw and not trying with uh, some more obscure uh, laws and rules uh, like the HEROES Act that failed. It would just be going with the Higher Education Act from 1965. Uh, that allowed the Secretary of Education to have some form of authority in waiving and releasing borrowers from education-specific debt. Uh, What I thought was fascinating about this, uh, the most interesting part of the read, even in CNBC, is if this was such a a guaranteed slam-dunk thing, uh, why didn't they go this road in the first place? Uh, Why would they go this road now? And the reason why is because it's even less likely to hold up in court, uh, because it does seem to be an exaggeration of any actual power Uh, given to the Education Department or the Secretary of Education, and yet they don't care. If this winds up being a thing that you hear pitched more, uh, promised more, and discussed more uh, by politicians or specifically, of course, uh, by Democrats, I think it's fascinating that you already have the information out there in front of you that could tell you that this is a a promise that will not be delivered on, uh, at least no time in the near future. Um, because essentially all the things they're they're saying they can do, well, they still can't do them. But I just thought it was really, um, you know, uh, uh, political theater uh, at its best to see that there's another plan or, or a more simple plan, a more basic plan, a plan they chose not to go with the first time. All right. We're going to take a break in just a bit. Uh, after the break, I will continue to talk about FBI Director Christopher Wray um, and his testimony that he gave. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's Craig Collins show. 
um, the House Judiciary Committee um, had Christopher Ray testify in front of it. I don't know why I was fumbling with that word before the break. I felt like Scott Robbins uh, when he can't say uh, certain words. And then uh, the rest of that uh, show, the Markley Van Camp and Robbins show, makes fun of him. Because I, I knew my mouth wasn't making the right sounds. I knew it wasn't happening the way it was supposed to. And it just it wouldn't fix itself. Uh, but anyway, uh, this was interesting for several reasons, all the stuff that happened. Uh, my favorite one was probably this one. Uh, this is a question that is asked to director of the FBI, Chris Ray, and his answer insinuates that it's ridiculous that you ask him these kind of questions. How dare you, sir, is basically what he wanted to say. But what's amazing about his answer is let's say it's a complete and total utter lie. He didn't actually say the thing he wanted you to believe he mostly said, which is incredible. I do respect people uh, that are capable of speaking like this. I don't actually uh, like them or think that they're good for, say, society, uh, but I do respect their ability to say nothing while also seeming to say a whole lot. Here we go. In response, the FBI opened 25 assessments against parents and even created a new threat tag. Director Ray, did uh, Attorney General Garland consult with you or the FBI before issuing that memorandum? Uh, I, I can't get into discussions that did or maybe more importantly did not happen between the FBI and the department in advance of the... Why do you say more importantly did not? <laughs> well, because I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo, which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. Uh, now, violence... Threats of violence, that's a different matter. We're going to work with our Correct. State so that's what the memo was predicated on. And what I'm asking you, was there any evidence that you provided to Attorney General Garland that supported that predicate, that premise that there was an increase in harassment and threats of violence? Yeah, because it can't just be like a gut reaction thing. You can't be like, yeah, no, no, there's no way in, in uh, on earth that we would ever do something to interfere with these school board meetings. We promise we won't do it. But if it's an act of violence or a threat of violence, we have to take that seriously. Yeah, what? where are the receipts? What's the proof that that's a thing uh, that exists? But my favorite line uh, was the line he gave at first. I can't get into discussions that did, uh, meaning he won't talk about this topic at all on uh, on the record, or did, more importantly, did not happen. He, he refuses on both counts. And this continued. Uh, there were multiple moments where people challenged uh, what the whistleblower in the FBI came forward to say, uh, that people were targeted based on religion, that uh, that was one of a, a subset of things that the FBI determined as a likely component to someone who was potentially more aggressive at a school board meeting. And it was something that made a lot of people mad and offended a lot of people because it's not at all accurate or backed up by any amount of data. It just seemed to be a an assumption that seems much more born from political ideology than any, again, a sort of actual investigation or information. Uh, but here, here's another moment uh, where he refuses to speak on the record about this. And again, he could be telling the truth. I'm not saying that it's absolutely definitive proof uh, when someone goes this road uh, that they are in fact lying other people will say the same i'll continue to say that you need more information to be sure uh, but it's certainly the way people would go who are lying uh, when you don't want to answer a question saying you won't answer it is the version of did you pretty much say yes to us it feels like you said yes to us do you would you do you believe that the attorney general should apologize to parents who are the subject of that memorandum? i'm not going to speak to that will you apologize for the fbi's own role <laughs> 
I think the FBI conducted itself uh, the way it should here, which is that we've considered to continue to follow our longstanding rules and have not changed anything in response to that memo. We've changed nothing. We do nothing different, uh, nothing whatsoever, even though there were things that we said about how we need to uh, refocus our attention on certain individuals based on certain ideology that was not necessarily uh, political in nature, uh, but was much more based on their uh, religious uh, connections. All right. Other things out there that I do think are interesting. Uh, there is a, a threat to pull the White House press credential of a um, reporter uh, for Today uh, News Africa who uh, goes on TV randomly, uh, not that often. I think Tucker Carlson did an interview with him. Uh, Simon Atiba is the guy's name. Uh, he also, uh, every so often, and again, this is very rare, uh, goes viral for trying to go back and forth with Jen Psaki when she was the White House um, press secretary, now with Corinne Jean-Pierre basically demanding to ask questions. That's usually what the viral thing is, is they're trying to ignore him. They're trying not to call him. They're trying to tell him to shut up. Uh, and then eventually he goes a little crazy. And you probably would, too, if every day you showed up at work and people were like, no, be quiet and be in the corner. Eventually you'd be like, come on, answer, like, at, let me ask one question every once in a while. And so he sort of refuses to back down occasionally. And apparently now uh, this is causing the White House to contemplate just fully revoking uh, his access, uh, which is not a good look ever. It, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, you know, what's funny is that when Trump was in office, uh, there were a lot of reporters that I think tried to essentially make themselves viral in how they asked questions to the former president. Uh, Jim Acosta is one that comes to mind a lot. And I am um, as against it then as I'm against it right now. You can't remove any of those credentials. You can't kick those people out of those rooms. You let them just be nuts. You let them just be crazy and have their time. And then you wait and then you move on to other people at some point. Or if you're Trump, more often than not, you actually answered a lot of those questions and then you moved on because that's better. Uh, no matter who you agree with or disagree with, uh, running from questions, uh, refusing to, a to answer them because you think they're, they're crazy, uh, his uh, news organization is very, very popular. Uh, in Africa. So it matters to people, uh, apparently not to our current administration. And that, I think, is, is part of the problem. To be honest, it, this is the easier way to say it. And then I'll move on to, to one other thing and then we'll take a break. Um, I think that in the world we live in right now, there's a lot more people who think you can use the block button in real life. Like you, you can use it on the Internet. You can use it on, on text and chat and everything you want. You can anyone that tries to uh, communicate with you electronically, if you want to block those people, feel free. Go ahead. Enjoy life. I'm not going to judge you for it uh, because, to me, a certain extent of electronic communication uh, is replacing regular human communication, and that's also bad. So I don't necessarily think it's a big deal if you block someone, say, on your Facebook page or something. Uh, but if you just refuse to take questions from reporters and you're the White House press secretary because you think that the questions are ridiculous or, or something else – uh, that is the bad version of what this whole thing that we live in now is. And there's a whole lot of people, I think, um, that walk around and then are very vocal on those same uh, social media platforms that do refuse to hear anything that they disagree with. They're, they're like, ah, I don't know. I disagree with that. I don't like that. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, that's the worst, and I hate it. Oh, by the way, uh, thank you to the texter that texted in the word heroic. Uh, that is the word that Scott Robbins always struggles to say, and I was struggling to say a word a little bit earlier in the show, and I knew it was wrong. Just like Robbins knows it's wrong. You know the right way to say it. The right way to say it is not coming out 
of your mouth uh, and you're on the radio, you can't get it back. That's the weird thing about this business is as soon as I do whatever this is and then I hit the break, none of it can be reversed. None of it can be changed. And I, I like that too, actually. If I'm soapboxing uh, for a second, uh, just about the industry itself and all the competition that's out there in the world, podcasting and whatnot, uh, which I have a podcast. Uh, the Craig Collins Show recently updated. You can find all the shows and then several different um, separated conversations uh, all in the same place. The Craig Collins Show podcast has all that information updated, hopefully now uh, daily uh, for your own listening pleasure. Uh, but the funny thing is all those other platforms that compete, uh, they're all recorded. And so they all are not the same as this thing, which makes this better. It makes this more interesting to me. It makes it something that's that's harder. And sometimes having things that are more challenging in your life are, are good. I'm not trying to overly brag about radio, just in general. And I feel like that's connected to what I'm saying about people who refuse opinions they don't agree with anymore. They get very, I, people get very mad at me on my text, 309-340-4464, for a bunch of things that I say. And every time they get mad, and it's not someone who wants to have constructive back-and-forth criticism uh, or back-and-forth debate, they just want to get mad at me. I, I am entertained by that. I'm sorry to say, but I, I am because I look at that and I think to myself, that's a person who refuses to, to even listen to stuff that they don't um, agree with or they don't like or they don't whatever. And it can even be like one thing. They could love most of the stuff I say and then hate one thing I say and they fire off a, a message that's similar to I used to like you, but now it's over. Now we're done. And I don't think we've always been there as a society. I actually think we probably used to share way less of our opinions uh, as just people. And now we do both of those more, share and tell others their opinion is unacceptable. That's not good. And it's not good in the world of, again, the uh, White House to say the same to a reporter, even if they think that reporter is just being theatrical uh, more than he should be. All right, quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. We're going to lighten it up again. Very serious. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Got a text from uh, someone, 309-340-4464 is the phone number. Assign your name or tell me what part of the community you're texting in when you text uh, the show, 309-340-4464. So I can identify you better on the air than a 309 that texted me. Uh, but I was just talking about how I'm not a parent, and someone told me to do an all-parent uh, segment where all I talk about are parenting topics. Sure, why not? I, I can do that. This is something I can figure out uh, during a commercial break for you. I have several of these. So you're welcome, listener. Here we go. Uh, the first one, I, I thought this was interesting. This is not necessarily a parent, so I'm already failing. Uh, I, all right, fine. I'll save this one to the end because uh, this is parenting adjacent, not necessarily parenting. Uh, let's do this one first. Uh, this is uh, a recent advice column that someone provided uh, saying, and they're an expert, apparently. I don't know how uh, you get to be an expert in some things, uh, but they say that they're, they're a parenting expert, and I don't think it's just because they raised kids, because uh, a lot of people probably feel like they're parenting experts. Uh, but they said you shouldn't give children money for doing chores. Uh, this is something that should go away. Uh, giving your kid an allowance, whether it's 250 a week was the reference used, uh, which is definitely an older version of an allowance, or even just like a, an amount of money per chore all of that is bad. Uh, creating a financial incentive to doing things, according to the expert, uh, winds up setting your kids up to be focused on the wrong stuff, more or less. I don't even want to dive into the more uh, specific thing she's going on about, because I do think that this is nuts. I think that, and we didn't get money, by the way. We had chores that were assigned to us, and we were supposed to do those chores, and it didn't matter if we did them or not. Uh, we weren't getting paid. Uh, and sometimes you might have neglected on some chores. Uh, but again, it wasn't a money thing for us. When you grow up with 
uh, a single mom and you're not exactly uh, killing it financially. No offense to her. It was a struggle uh, for a while for our family. I think that getting money for chores doesn't make as much sense. Uh, but all my buddies, everybody who did get paid, even when I went over to like a friend's house, I would get in on that sweet, sweet money for chores situation, and it was great. It actually, I think, instilled a, a simplistic version of work ethic uh, in kids, uh, in children. Uh, but this person says no, that it'll make kids cut corners or make kids behave differently or make them have too many expectations uh, for doing things that uh, they should be doing anyway. Uh, so cut out the money. I think the money is great, but that's just me personally. And text her if you want to text back in and saying I'm getting all this stuff uh, wrong. It's fine. It's your fault uh, that I'm doing parenting topics. Uh, the other one that I saw out there that I thought was interesting, uh, I accidentally started a boycott of a nine-year-old's birthday because I refused uh, because my daughter wasn't invited uh, is the headline. A mom said that she got very upset uh, when her child wasn't invited to you know, some other kid in class's birthday. And so she started saying things and doing things. And then eventually a lot of other moms wound up agreeing with this mom. And 11 kids uh, decided not to go to a birthday party for another child. And she felt bad about it. She actually went on social media to ask if that's something she should have handled differently. And I think the answer is probably yes, um, because I don't know if the kids are the ones to blame. And if the kids are the ones to blame, if they're they're young enough you're going to have people you like and people you don't like. It's it's going to be hard. Uh, and this is the nine years old as the age of all the children in this, uh, which I know I think I said a second ago. Um, it's going to be hard for your kid if your kid wasn't invited to something uh, because some kid doesn't like your child. Uh, but the wrong response to it, I think, would be to uh, create a scenario where a whole bunch of other parents are like, screw it, we're not taking our kid to the party either um, because there's got to be some other way to teach your, your children at that age. And again, not a parent, uh, but doing this segment, uh, mostly because a listener asked me to, um, there's got to be some way to teach your children that not everyone will be uh, someone you win over. Not everyone will be someone that likes you. And it, it doesn't mean that you should be sad about who you are or any of that. Uh, you just don't have to expect every single person throughout your own. Because I think that's another thing that's broken uh, in our society. And I don't know why I'm doing a lot of this today, but all right, this is a, a tangent and I'll get back to the other thing. I think the two problems I brought up one earlier is that we think we can block uh, thoughts that are not our thoughts uh, the way you do on social media and whatnot and just ignore them, not really explore them, not really think about them, uh, move on from anything that's not something in your brain uh, completely and never really even go back to it. And you even have politicians and I'll get back to some of the um, Christopher Ray, the FBI director audio that sort of demonstrate that a lack of of even having curiosity or interest. I think I played Gavin Newsom audio uh, when he was with Jen Psaki earlier this week where he said he didn't care uh, what Republicans ideas were. He just cared what the system is. He could learn for how they uh, provide their ideas to their supporters. And that's terrible. That's a terrible thing uh, to say. But I think that's the other problem in society is like some people want to be liked by everyone. Uh, that you have woke culture. Woke culture is a byproduct of those uh, that feel as though the social media experience of everyone liking your posts and no one disliking them is the world we have to live in. And there are a lot of people who walk around thinking, if somebody dislikes me, that means I'm terrible. That means I'm bad. And that's not true. There's a lot of people who don't walk around like this, by the way. I'm not trying to say everybody does. But for anybody who does behave that way, I think that you know, the most interesting lesson, and you could learn this at nine, is guess what? Some people won't like you, and it doesn't matter. Uh, the world has not ended. Uh, other things, parenting-esque, uh, both of these are now uh, parenting-adjacent, uh, not necessarily parenting tips. Uh, but I saw this story. Most K-12 through 12 teachers 
uh, will miss their classroom during the summer. Uh, a survey of 1,000 parents of kids 5 to 17 and 1,000 teachers uh, K through uh, 12 uh, asked simple questions. Do you uh, miss sending your children to school? A whole lot of parents said yes to that, uh, not because they don't want to spend time with their kids, but because not having school is a unique hassle. Uh, every, I remember how awesome summer was as a kid, uh, but I remember how stressful summer was for my mom as a single parent and how eventually we'd wind up in a whole bunch of like uh, summer camp stuff um, in order to, you know, not make her incapable of doing her job every day. I just threw a bottle on the ground as I'm trying to get some water as I, I gag here on the radio, uh, expertly uh, performed show today. Uh, but I, I think that that's probably the only reason that everybody feels that challenge. But I thought it was really interesting that a lot of teachers uh, don't enjoy every part of summer vacation as much as you think they would. It's one of the only things I'm most jealous of in the world of teaching because uh, teaching today and the discussions about teaching and those who want to do it well and, um, you know, don't necessarily want to do uh, some of the things that people talk about all the time, uh, I feel like that's a stressful job because uh, there's a lot of reactions. And then sometimes people who are like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And so I find that fascinating. But I've always thought that having your summers free, uh, like when you were a kid, would, would be incredible. It would be the best part about being an educator. My mom's an educator, actually, so maybe she can tell me if she enjoys her summer vacation, uh, yes or no, uh, because, again, I was surprised that most people in this in this survey said, I would like to get back in the classroom. I'd get like to get back to teaching kids and just, in general, doing stuff and not having uh, several months off. Actually, other teachers, 309-340-4464, uh, text me and let me know, do you like your summer vacation, 309 340 uh, four, four, six, four. One last topic, not necessarily parenting, but I was challenged by a, a texter to do a parenting uh, full segment. So I feel like we're close to it. Uh, there's a woman out there uh, that talked about the negative aspect of dating an older woman. Uh, she is 49. She describes herself as a cougar. And she said that um, certain men younger uh, that she likes to date are interested in her until they find out that she is, in fact, a parent uh, because someone in their, say, 30s and 40s, more likely to be a mom than someone in their 20s. So if you're dating a direction much higher than you in age, uh, you may wind up with a unique caveat, at least according to her. And so that, to me, is tangentially uh, still a parenting uh, topic and segment. Uh, you decide if I got it right or not. Uh, please text in and let me know if I won or lost here, because uh, I have no idea. All right. Will's got the news. 1470, 100.3 WMBD, Craig Collins Show. My wife, Betty, in studio. Um, just put a giant chip in her mouth. I know you got to wait a second here. I'll turn your mic back off uh, so you can finish chewing that. Um, you like those Doritos more than I do. They're like a barbecue Dorito, which I think is a new, I don't know if I've had that chip before. I think it's a new trip. What were you going to say? It is a sweet, tangy barbecue. <laughs> you like those? Are those good Doritos? It's the first time I tried them. They're yeah. pretty tasty. Yeah. They're in the vending machine. Oh, probably because I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. I grabbed them and I was like, we had salads today for lunch. Yes, we you, did. You made two salads. And no, that's, I didn't. That's all we, well, you kind of made two salads. And that's all we had for lunch. And I am also hungry. <laughs> yeah. But yes, we felt really healthy during pretty lunch. Light salads. Yeah. No, but we, we felt great. Like the whole lunch. We were I was at least I was talking about. Yeah, and I got I cherries too for you, you yes. that you can have like a sweet snack to mm -hmm. crack. Right. Cherries. Instead cherries. of like I did get a um a Reese's peanut butter bar um, oh. as well. well. <laughs> later on. I did that later. You didn't see. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm outing myself now. Um how are you doing? How was your day going at work? Good. It's Wednesday. Okay. It's the middle of the week, and mm -hmm. um, I feel a little bit tired. Uh, I usually feel tired on Wednesdays. I feel like 
I don't know, probably most of the people, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the week, mm-hmm. we are kind of like in the uh, setup mode that, okay, I'm ready to kind of like... To have this week be over. It's exactly. one of the things we think and feel. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, right we in the dead in the center. Yeah, right, right in the middle, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's ending no, anytime soon. No, okay, exactly. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Uh, there was a poll about all kinds of things for people and phones, and a whole lot of young people said that they're terrified of not having their phone or it breaking or something. Uh, but nearly a third of Americans said they could go without their phones for a majority of the summer, their cell phones. They would just have a house phone or something. Uh, they think that that would be a great idea. Nearly a third. And I don't know if these are people that are being honest when they answer this question uh, based on the answers to a lot of the other questions. But I sort of think that's a great idea. If every summer we just all retired the cell phones and went back to the way where you had regular house phones and answering machines and whatnot, and then after the summer we went back to having technology in our hands 24-7, I think that might be a really nice break. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's kind of like a, a vacation, too, for uh, your yeah, brain. Just we would, no we would, worry about anything in your phone. We would take summer vacation, yeah. uh, all of us from our phones, yes. and then we would return back in the fall. I think and it's then a good would, idea, but I, don't think, I, I think that is possible for you. Yeah, or you. I don't think it's possible for you. Well, uh, now that I started to be addicted to TikTok, probably, <laughs> probably yeah, probably it right. would be the like silly videos. Difficult. Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't uh, stop with the silly videos, um, and that it is what it is. Uh, that's what you love on it. What's your favorite TikToker again? The guy, uh, Jimmy. Jimmy from yeah. uh, California. Yes, because he does nice things for people. Yes, he does mm-hmm. very nice things for for people. He surprises random people on the street or businesses, etc. He usually has a test component to all of his videos too, meaning that he'll ask you if he can borrow something, and like or, homeless people, or like you can play like uh, golf with him right, in Walmart or right. whatever. Uh, and homeless people sometimes the ones that like offer him their last dollar uh, yes. when he's asking for a dollar that he needs. And yeah. then if that happens, he then gives that person like a thousand dollars. Five hundred dollars. Five hundred. Something, okay. Something like that. Is it always five hundred bucks? It's always five hundred dollars. But it depends if the people are like in serious, in serious need. Mm-hmm. Uh, TikTokers, you know, uh, go to the, uh, he creates GoFundMe pages. And for some people, people get all kinds of other like money. 20000 All right. 10, it's pretty lovely, yes. Yeah. Um, all right, I have some audio I want to play uh, for you and I, and then I want to talk about it. Uh, two things. The first one is um, a guy who's laughing pretty hard. Now, you wanted a pet bird for a while. Yes. Uh, we didn't land on a pet bird, no. but you wanted one. I think we actually tried one. For, I, and I, we tried. And I, I talked about it on the radio. Like, the yeah. bird hated us. It was <laughs> yes. the meanest bird ever. Uh, it attacked us it constantly. Us, yes. And I remember Tactics. even when we got the, the bird from the pet store, uh, they were like, you should take it out every day and cuddle it. So, yeah. like, it has a connection to, to living beings. Mm-hmm. That bird did no, not want to be no. touched and cuddled at all. No. <laughs> I love even saying you that now. pretty upset with us all, right. all the time. But anyway, uh, we might have avoided another problem. Uh, this is audio a guy put up on social media that went viral. Um, he said he got a phone call from cops uh, who even might have showed up at his house because a neighbor was complaining, fearful of a noise that they were hearing. Mm-hmm. And it was a bird. I've just had uh, three police vehicles turn up in my house. I might be in a bit of trouble because uh, a concerned neighbour has been passing by telling me that there's screaming coming from my house. A woman screaming for help. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. This is brilliant. I do really love the way he laughs at the end of this uh, video that went viral, too, when he's because it's his bird the whole time in the yeah. background being crazy. <laughs> That's a really good laugh, uh, in all honesty. Um, but maybe we avoided uh, that, you know, uh, thing, being accused of having something terrible happening in our house if we got a bird that was too loud. 
because you also wanted a bird that could talk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the birds that can't talk are not as fun as fun as the ones no. that can. They, yeah. I don't know. How, I don't know how like uh, pet owners, especially parrots, they mm-hmm. they could do that. Because I've seen so many videos where the parrot imitates literally whatever the owners say. Yes. You know? And then it sounds like a little kid learning yes. bad words for the first time. Yes, sort of exactly. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I won't teach uh, the parrot bad words though. No, you wouldn't. No. Very few bad words. Yeah. Maybe a Spanish bad word occasionally, <laughs> depending on what yes. I do. Something like you don't yeah. understand. Yeah. If oh, I, no, if I, I do understand. something wrong, every once in a while, a word will come out <laughs> from Betty. Yeah. yeah, and then the bird will be like, yeah, okay. But we didn't go bird, which, thank God, because uh, that one bird again that we had really, truly hated us. Yeah, no. Hated both of us. Well, I think the, the problem was that uh, he used to live with uh, uh, another bird next to the, the same uh, cage. Like, they were like just divided by like a glass so probably they were little bodies, and then when he had separated... Yeah, they were mated, yes. yes. I think there were two birds that had mated, and then we adopted one of them or whatever. We bought one of them because yeah. it was an adoption thing, and then um, we got in a lot of trouble because yes. we, you know, did bird very mad. Yeah, he was upset. Yeah, constantly, all constantly, the time. All right, yeah. um, one other thing. I want to throw this at you, and then we'll get your word of the day. Uh, Betty is tre- teaching us Spanish one word at a time. I did a story um, in the last half hour where I talked about how an expert in parenting was telling people not to pay their kids to do chores. Yeah. You shouldn't get money to do stuff around the house. Yeah. Um, they're saying that's bad somehow. I had a texter text in and said, I lived on a farm when I was a kid. I did chores that were the equivalent of a man's like job, of somebody who's working on the farm. Yeah. He started doing those at, in fifth grade. Uh, he now runs two successful companies and has founded a yep. another organization, a philanthropic one. Uh, so he said because of that version of working yes. from when he was little, yes. uh, he thinks it made him uh, who he is. Although he did go on to say when I said I'll mention his text on the air that uh, there's no one single answer. Stuff works differently uh, for people and for different kids. One kid can seem to understand something, and so it's it's a good thing. And then a different kid, if, you, if you're doing the allowance thing and they're cutting corners all the time, like you, you adjust as you go in the world of parenting is essentially the second tip there. And that makes sense too, not the blanket advice that sometimes is given out uh, by the experts. But did you get paid for chores as a kid or no? Yes, I used to all okay. the time. How much did you get paid? Uh, I don't Do remember? remember. I mean, I was like little, like mm-hmm. all the time. Or, or the change that they gave me, my mom usually used to, uh, used to tell me, just keep it. Yeah, it was but, like change. Yeah. Yes, but uh, I had like a very good example. Like my brother-in-law, uh, he used to sell icicles on the street, and uh, his mom told him, was like, you make a certain amount of money, I'm going to give you back, I don't know, 20 or 30%. So they wow. started, he and his brother started doing that seven or eight years old both. Selling like uh, ice pops. Ice pops. And, to, and nowadays, both of them are very successful businessmen. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, both their own like well, uh, trailers and farms and everything. I know it was because your family needed the money too, but your dad uh, at a very young age would like go door to door knocking on doors and selling. What would he sell to people? Uh, meat. Yeah, pork. Like pork. Meat. Yeah, he'd, yeah, he'd have pork from a farm yes. and he'd knock on somebody's door and be like, You guys need any pork? Yes. And he was doing that when he was, again, uh, tell me how old it was, because he was a very little kid. He was right? like uh, nine years yeah, old. Yeah, like nine, yeah. eight years old. And a door-to-door salesman at that age instills yeah. a lot in you. And yeah. your father is a very successful farmer now as well in the town. So it's, it is it is a thing that works uh, for a lot of people. All right. Um, uh, you know what? I have one more piece of audio, Betty, if you want. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm play you one more thing. All right. I want to know if you think this is juvenile, because I think this is funny. Okay. And guys sometimes think that stuff like farts is uh-huh. funny. Oh. And girls <laughs> okay. sometimes.
sometimes don't think All it's right. funny. So let's see if you think this is as funny as I think it is. You know when you go to check out at a hotel and sometimes there's that page that pops up before you put your credit card in and it's like enhance your stay with these other things and it's always like flowers, champagne, car service, massage, whatever. I truly thought that I was seeing something totally normal, right? Bottle of wine, massage, fart. What <laughs> is fart? Why is it on For the menu? Free? Free Wait, farts. What are the details? Fart free. The rate is per day. <laughs> oh Should I God. book the client a fart? Like what what is happening? So the price of the fart is free or the hotel room is fart free. I can't figure out which one it is. It depends on where the the term free is in relation to the term fart. Uh, and they don't tell me in the video, but I find that real funny. <laughs> yeah, but am it, I being a child? Really okay, good. Okay. No, no, no. It is very funny. Right. But also I feel like they made a mistake when they set up the the, the computer. Well, I think somebody just hacked whatever. it. Yes. I think somebody's yes. just being an idiot. I don't idiot. think that's possible. I don't think you can buy farts. <laughs> no, I, don't I don't think, think you can so. have a fart-free room either. I don't think anybody <laughs> no, can back that up. I don't up. think like any customer will be like, can no. I have the fart-free, whatever. Oh, my God. That would be awesome if somebody <laughs> asked for it, though. Can I, I get don't. a fart-free room? <laughs> I want a room that no one's ever farted in. Yeah, no, that's that's It's impossible. All right. Anyway, uh, word of the day time. What is your word of the day? Again, you're teaching us Spanish, all of central Illinois, one word at a time. Uh, and then I try to pronounce it and usually get it wrong. Well, I um, I I pick one uh, for you, Craig, especially today because you love baseball. I do. As my dad oh, also loves like baseball. I feel like I know what this word's going to be. So this one uh-huh. is uh, it's uh, it is uh, quadrangular. That means home run, right? Quadrangular, say it. it but the word means home run, right? <laughs> that is the word for home run. It's a this is the meaning of home run inside the inside the park, which it's, I didn't know. Oh, it's inside the park home run because when we were watching yes. the home run derby, yes. it was called on the Spanish language station we were watching for a bit the festival of the word you just said. See, si. and so yeah. you were laughing at me for trying to say that word that I haven't tried to say yet, and I asked you what it meaning. You said it meant home run, but yeah. it's the the festival of quadrangulars. Fiesta de los cuadrangulares. Fiesta de los <laughs> well, cuadrangulares. Well, that's, that's a call, like the, the, the guys, yeah. they were saying the name on, on TV about yeah. the, this event. Mm-hmm. And I got very confused because growing up, my dad used to say that word a lot. And he was very specific with baseball terms in Spanish. He loves baseball. So every time that I go back to Mexico and you guys talked in a, and I mean, you, you guys talked through me because yes. I had to translate back and forth. Yes. And my dad was like, ask him about the quadrangulares, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hey, what is quadrangulares? Did I get the word right though? Quadrangulares. Say it again. Quadrangulares. Quadrangulares. I think I'm getting it right. I think we're basically making it. You were laughing so bad during the home run derby because I wasn't close. You were not close. And by the way. You practiced it, Craig. I, I so did practice. Yeah, I, I did cheat. Uh, I practiced it because, like, I looked at the word on the television, and it's that's way too many letters it's, in that it's, it's word. It's a long word. Yeah, and when you know that it's a foreign language word and it's also gigantic, immediately <laughs> the sweat takes over, and it, it definitely went poorly. But you were, like, crying laughing at yes, how bad they was doing. Was and now I got it. Yeah, there you, you can tell my dad now that you learned that word, yes. and he will be very happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, Susan, a, a friend of the show, texted in and said, have you guys heard of stink bombs? Those are way Hi, worse Susan. than farts. Oh, she would like a stink bomb free. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So I would like one of those free, too, in the world of a hotel. All right. Uh, thank you, Betty, for teaching us uh, Spanish word of the day. And no for problem. listen to me be dumb on the radio no, for no, a few no, minutes. Okay. Do not, do not okay. say All that. Right. Don't be dumb. All right. <laughs> Quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470. 
100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Holland Show. Uh, the VFW in Peoria Heights is one of my favorite places to go and one of Betty's favorite places to go. Uh, she loves their tacos. Taco Tuesday was yesterday. You missed out. If you didn't go, you can go next week or you can get them the, on the weekend. Uh, they cook on Friday and Saturday night as well. Uh, 1505 East Lake Avenue is the address for the Peoria Heights VFW 2602, the post number. And the phone number is 309-682-9875, 309-682-9875. I like the community uh, that they built uh, there. It, there's a part of it that feels like a Cheers-style bar. Uh, they're going to be throwing a baby shower uh, for uh, the people who cook the food, Edith and Ray, on the 30th of July at 3 p.m. They'll have snacks. Cake will be provided. They're inviting everybody uh, to show up, maybe even bring some kind of gift, I guess, because uh, it's a baby shower. If you show up without one, that seems mean. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, though, uh, probably something little. Uh, but they're inviting everybody in the community or, I guess, everybody listening to the radio show uh, to come on out. And I, I think that's cool. And I think they do a lot of stuff like that. And you'll have fun if you go. And you'll you'll, re- you'll realize very quickly why uh, Betty and I like to go so much. Um, some things out there that I thought were interesting. And I heard uh, Mark Lee Van Camp and Robbins uh, joke about one of these topics uh, a bit today. But for some reason, there's no easier way to put this. There's a lot of naked news out there. There's a lot of n- news tied to nudity. Uh, the first one is a woman who CNN, I think, um, did a story about a few days ago uh, that somehow is now making the rounds more on social media and whatnot, uh, talking about the do's and don'ts of going to a nude beach. Um, 81 years old. Uh, here are some of her tips. Uh, don't park your chair or blanket too close to anyone. Yeah, that'd feel creepy. Although also, um, I don't think I'm going to any of these. Uh, no gawking and staring is one she said. Uh, don't talk about anybody else's body. Uh, even if it's a compliment, that's not going to go that well, according to the 81-year-old a woman that CNN interviewed for do's and don'ts in the world of nude beaches. I wish that what I was saying was a joke. It feels like a, a Babylon Bee headline or something, but this is real. Uh, if there if uh, there is someone that you're going with, no PDA, no making out and stuff on the naked beach. And then finally, don't take pictures. Uh, that feels uh, to be very obvious. Uh, those are just some of the things that are part of the summary uh, that's available and out there all over the Internet. Uh, but like I said, she actually even gave uh, tips herself uh, to what to do and not do. And maybe I'll get to that audio in just a, a bit. Uh, but I have another story that's also somewhat connected. Uh, it's a woman that was featured in the New York Post. Uh, her name is Helen. She's 47, uh, not 81. And she says that she went on a nude cruise, apparently. That's a thing. People go on, you buy tickets, you show up, and everybody's naked. Uh, 2,300 passengers, uh, all strangers, uh, show up together and then spend the whole cruise the way that I'm talking about spending it. And she said it cured her her um, body image issues that she said she had uh, just showing up and taking a cruise with – I got to be – like I've never been on a cruise – um, but I, I feel as though that would be the wrong thing to add as a component to a situation that might already be awkward and, and odd um, as well. It's also just suddenly be naked. Uh, by the way, the CNN uh, conversation, uh, she was naked the entire time uh, she had a conversation with CNN about the do's and don'ts in the world of, in the world of uh, nude beaches. I can play a little bit of the audio. Let's play a little bit of the audio. Dave, like you were at that church picnic. What? Always bring a towel. With Wait, hold on. i got to go back a second. You need that, to hear that better. She said, behave like you're at a church picnic at a nude beach. Here we go. 
Nobody knows this is your first time. And in fact, it might be easier to go to a place with tons of people no. and just get on with it. No, it's not. Or better yet, get everything off. Behave like you were at that church picnic. How? Always bring a towel with you to sit on, because that is for everybody's hygiene. <laughs> Don't park your chair or your what? blanket too close to anybody. Uh-huh. Anything why, why is this anything that appears like sexual activity, like plastering your body against somebody else, is not allowed. I don't know why this is a thing. I don't know why it was on CNN. I don't know why it's now making the rounds everywhere. CNN Travel, I think, is a website where you find this. I don't know what happened. A 81-year-old uh, woman named Rona uh, gave tips to people uh, going to one of those beaches for the first time. Uh, they're covering the news that matters. Uh, that's what they're doing, 24-hour. There must have been a slow news day, is what people typically say when you see stuff like that. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, Craig Collins Show. Time for the top five at five, and we got a theme song for that. Let's go ahead and play that. It's time for the top five at five on the Craig Collins Show. That's right. Uh, I go through the five biggest stories according to me, just this guy. And uh, they're in no particular order for anyone that wonders why one is before another one. Uh, no, no version of that. Uh, but I do want to start with Ukraine and with uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, and with the meeting that happened today between NATO leaders and him, uh, essentially the uh, Ukraine uh, council meeting, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. And what I thought was interesting about it is that going into that conversation, Zelensky said that it was absurd, it was ridiculous, uh, that there was not a, a firm timeline provided uh, by NATO to Ukraine for how and when it would be able to join uh, NATO. And now today, after they have those conversations, our president says that Zelensky's totally cool with the fact that uh, Ukraine will not be joining NATO anytime in the near future. And essentially the answer given is that there are still criteria, still things that are yet to be met uh, that have not been met. And when those uh, get met, whatever they are, and so Zelensky is still uh, in a way trashing, but then also um, seeming, I guess, a little bit more controlled in the conversations about NATO uh, today compared to yesterday. But I'm sure that uh, Ukraine is disappointed. Uh, but I will just say this quickly on this topic as one of the top five at five. It would make no sense to allow Ukraine or literally any country to join NATO while at war with another country like a Russia, but specifically a Russia, uh, because essentially it would be akin to declaring war as the entirety of NATO on Russia. And it could be easily blamed on the NATO countries and not on Russia uh, if that conflict immediately became what uh, you're guaranteed within that agreement for it to be, uh, which means that all NATO countries defend each other. Uh, so one, attack on one is an attack on all, uh, essentially, is the terminology. And so it, it just it seems um, uh, disconnected from the world in which we're in right now, even for those who support every single thing the United States has done so far uh, to help Ukraine uh, fight back against Russia. It just seems that it's absurd almost uh, to expect a different outcome uh, currently. And as I said, the biggest reason why is because of what would have what would be step number two in that world. All right. I want to play uh, some of the moments that I found interesting. Uh, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, uh, appeared today in front of members of Congress and the conversations they had were fascinating, uh, mostly because a lot of Republicans went on the attack. Uh, they said that the FBI has to, in some way, shape or form, admit that it's behaved um, unfairly uh, toward conservatives or just toward like people, uh, toward parents and schools, 
Uh, there was a memo out there uh, targeting uh, Catholic people of certain, I guess, um, um, denominations of the church, uh, according to the FBI, that were, quote, unquote, dangerous. Uh, they actually even said that they removed uh, that one that I'm referencing, the one about uh, Catholics, which I, I think that broke um, very, very early this year because uh, it wasn't up to the FBI standard of what a memo is supposed to be and what you tell internally other people to focus on. But they're, the school board uh, example and other ones out there um, um, reference an idea that parents are essentially dangerous. So I thought this was a really interesting back and forth on exactly that topic. And I do think it's almost masterful, if you're not paying attention, the way that Christopher Ray did not answer the question, but pretended he answered the question. In response, the FBI opened 25 assessments against parents and even created a new threat tag. Director Ray, did uh, Attorney General Garland consult with you or the FBI before issuing that memorandum? Uh, I, I can't get into discussions that did or maybe more importantly did not happen between <laughs> the FBI and the department in advance of the... Why do you say more importantly did not? Well, because I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo, which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. How dare you, sir, say that we did any of the things that the memo kind of said for us to do. And more importantly, I am not here to either confirm nor deny, though I'm pretty likely to deny if I were to deny something. I love that version of an answer, right? Uh, because it, it's extreme in the places it's allowed to be because you forgive yourself at the beginning by saying I'm not actually commenting on the thing you're asking me about. Uh, and I refuse to comment on things that did or definitely didn't happen but I'm also not commenting, so uh, stop talking. Uh, please move on. Uh, that's that's brilliant as far as an answer goes, but also, as I said, um, somewhat the type of thing. Because uh, here, this is the way I want to say it. Because I'm, I'm stumbling around uh, this idea today. I don't definitively know if every part of the FBI or any other bureaucracy in our government is is one sided. I don't I don't know that definitively. And you might get frustrated. You might throw stuff at your radio if you're positive. Uh, that those uh, organizations are biased. But there's a lot of evidence that seems to suggest that they're biased. So when you have people like the director, Director Ray, uh, who touts his connections to Republican politicians and says that our, our organization is completely not biased uh, whatsoever, or you even have data uh, that's been out there for years that demonstrates that overwhelmingly, uh, actually, this is the best one. This is probably the best example where you might have some definitive information. Uh, overwhelmingly, people in uh, positions in government that are not elected positions, but positions you you get and then stay in for your whole life, uh, the bureaucratic parts of our government, they overwhelmingly donate to Democrats. It's insane. I just I encourage you to look up the the difference in people that are in those walks of life and the amount of money they give to one political party compared to the other, because it almost feels similar to like social media and how they were saying that social media was biased and then social media was saying, how dare you? We're definitely not biased. Uh, we've never been biased. And then you looked at the amount of donations they had to one political party and then the other. And you're like, wait a minute, that's confusing. And then eventually the Twitter files, well, uh, demonstrated that at least Twitter was actually biased. But I digress. The, the reason I said all that is to go back to the point. If you're someone that gets mad at, um, you know, a political side of the aisle or political opinion, say, how dare this guy? He's so far right. He's so he's so out there. Um, I will admit that there is not more valuable definitive information that proves some of these assumptions uh, people make. 
uh, but there's a lot of smoke. And when there's a lot of smoke, there's usually fire. And so I do also think it's fascinating. And I'm supposed to do a top five at five, so I should move on, uh, that so many Democrats are saying, how dare Republicans question the FBI in this way? It's going to undercut the power of that um, that part of our government or that part of our our, our very important uh, system to protect uh, citizens um, um, because it's it's happening in public. I got to be honest, I think a lot of Americans probably aren't watching this. If you're listening to this radio show, you're hearing some of this stuff maybe for the first time. But I don't think a lot of Americans are sitting down and watching these testimonies. Uh, they're, they're hearing snippets of it, maybe on other news sources, uh, too. But so I don't think you're undercutting the FBI to those who already think uh, the FBI or to those who think the FBI is a, a worthwhile organization and those who don't, they or just have that opinion enhanced. I don't know. That argument is so funny to me uh, that there's a danger in having these conversations because there should never be a danger in having any conversation. Uh, that's the cleaner way uh, to say that. All right. Uh, one other thing uh, just before I break, just that I, I do also think uh, is important in these you know same uh, worlds is um, I, I want to highlight the, this is the best way to say it, the uh, whistleblower ac- uh, allegations and how some of that conversation uh, to me has been uh, really, uh, truly fascinating and how there's undercutting of, uh, say, uh, certain people even yesterday uh, in foreign countries or on the run, uh, hiding and whatnot. And then also, as we're doing that, as we're essentially saying uh, that all these people uh, who are, are saying that this organization or that part of our government is corrupt and, and bad, essentially dismissing all of these individuals. Uh, there's another story out there now about someone that was involved in January 6th has never been prosecuted for his uh, January 6th involvement, and yet for some reason uh, continues to be someone who pops up um, all over the news uh, because, well, uh, why weren't you prosecuted if other people were? And the belief is that there might be a connection uh, to the FBI or to anyone else. And so what I find so fascinating about the Ray Epps uh, story and the the conversation and now the defamation uh, lawsuit uh, too is that I think uh, when you actually go to court and, um, you know, play back all the transcripts, play back all the records, what essentially will be proven is that some people, whether it was Fox, Tucker Carlson, whoever, were asking questions about why one individual was not held accountable but is a, a high-profile name and a lot of other people were. It's just a simple question. So to shout it down, to yell it down, to tell you to stop having it, and then also to be sort of discrediting uh, oddly through news media, a certain whistleblowers uh, to me is, is a really um, fascinating version of events uh, happening. I know I'm, I'm choosing words you probably wish I wasn't using, um, but fascinating version of events to all be happening at the same time. Uh, there's something uniquely um, significant, I think, about the dismissing of this over here, the propping up of this over here, the quieting of this over here. Uh, it seems as though, uh, for better or for worse, uh, there's this uh, version of what can be and can't be talked about uh, right now. And I wonder why that is, I guess, is my question. And I know that sounded full tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, but I can't help it. I feel like there's a lot of things going on all at the same time uh, that lead you to believe that that maybe a lot of people are convinced uh, that we can't talk about this because it's going to prop up this thing that we don't think is true. And we don't want to talk about it because then it props up the thing we don't think is true. So let's just not talk about it at all. And when you don't do that a whole bunch of times, uh, the people who think the stuff behind the curtain is, is real 
are even more convinced that it's real. Uh, the best way to demonstrate that something is untrue is to shine light on it, uh, usually. And I do think that's what's happening again in the world of what happened with the FBI director, among other things. All right, quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WWD. That ended up ranty. I don't think I did five topics. Uh, this is the Craig Collins Show. Good story, bad story, coming up in a bit. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. We're going to do good story, bad story here because we got time uh, to go ahead and go through them all. I have uh, several good stories in front of me, actually. Uh, An 11-year-old in Iowa uh, named Paisley uh, kept hearing an artist on the radio and fell in love. Uh, She said she had uh, the voice of an angel, uh, the musicians on the radio, and thought it was a brand new singer. Uh, It was actually uh, the Doobie Brothers. (laughs) I love this so much. Uh, She was a little sad when she found out that um, um, the members of the Doobie Brothers are not young people and they're not uh, brand new artists. Uh, But she's still a fan and she got to see a show recently. Uh, CBS News just interviewed her over Zoom and surprised her by actually bringing on um, uh, one of the famous members, uh, Michael McDonald of the Doobie Brothers, uh, to pop in for a chat. And she started crying immediately. It was adorable. It was great. Uh, I highly recommend you get it. Uh, But it it reminded me of all the other times that stuff like that goes viral. I remember there was, I think, a Post Malone song. And I've talked about this one story probably more than I should, but it amused me so much. There was a Post Malone song that Ozzy Osbourne was on, and there were a bunch of, sadly, my generation, millennials, uh, or a little bit younger than me, uh, talking about how great it was that um, Post Malone discovered some guy named Ozzy Osbourne and gave him a shot this late in his career. It was it was depressing. It was very sad uh, to see those reactions, and this feels similar, but it's a little kid, so it is much more forgivable uh, than teenagers and, and adults uh, not knowing who people are. Uh, another good story, uh, why not do two? Uh, a kid in New Zealand turned eight uh, the other day and wanted to ride in a big rig for his birthday, uh, so his mom got on Facebook offered 50 bucks. This feels a little dangerous, but it worked out okay. Uh, 50 bucks to any trucker who was willing to swing by and take both of them uh, in their truck. Instead, 64 uh, giant trucks showed up together in an organized convoy uh, to surprise the kid, and he got to ride in several of the trucks. So again, I feel like there's a little bit of a risk involved there, uh, but it turned out wonderful. It turned out uh, lovely uh, because truckers are very nice people. Uh, depending on how uh, cute the mom is, maybe way too nice at times. But, again, I'm kidding. I don't mean that as seriously as it might sound. Uh, A really nice, really valuable story. Uh, 64 truckers all show up in unison. I wish a kid happy birthday because he loves trucks, uh, which is great. Um, Now let's do some bad stories. And I actually have a couple uh, different versions of bad stories than the normal ones I tell. Uh, One is just a list of the worst purchases uh, people have made in their lives. I think because Amazon Prime Day is a thing people are talking about right now, and the likelihood of you maybe getting on the computer, maybe having a couple drinks after dinner, and then browsing for stuff you probably don't need, and buying something because of how great the deal is. There's actually somebody uh, at lunch today uh, telling Betty and, and I about how her husband made a purchase that was utterly unnecessary just the other day online. I don't think it was for Prime Day. Uh, he bought something. He thought it was a toy for a dog, but it actually was uh, a toy for a horse, like a big giant ball for a horse. Uh, and he had it shipped to his house, and it showed up, and it's uh, five times the size of their pet. And he's like, my bad. I was hammered when I was doing that. So I have a list of those, and I find those to be funny bad stories. Uh, before I do that, there's one other one uh, that I guess is, is more of a typical bad story I'd tell. Uh, there's a story in the L.A. Times about sea otters and how they're terrorizing California surfers. Um, there are several people who said they've been attacked by sea otters. 
Uh, they don't know how to stop the attacks by the sea otters. Uh, there are even surfers who were saying that at first you see one and they're like, ah, cute. Uh, that's not a shark. Uh, that looks like a, a more fun animal. And then it starts to go after you and you're like, oh, this is not cute at all. I, I don't know how to, again, how to solve the problem. Uh, I know that they have drones and stuff on the East Coast, I think, in New Jersey specifically, uh, where I was born, uh, looking out for sharks. But the sea otter, I guess, is, is a tougher animal to track in the water and a more likely animal to annoy you if you get uh, close to it. So uh, lots and lots of people complaining about that, enough so that they reported on it in the L.A. Times. Uh, but here, back to the uh, most, the worst purchases people ever made. And I'd love for you to um, jump in on this. Uh, 309-340-4464 is the number to text. 309-340-4464, the most regrettable decision you made in the world of buying something, maybe online, maybe during the pandemic, whenever it was. Uh, one of them, a guy paid 20 bucks to sign up for unlimited rentals at his local Blockbuster one month before the entire place shut down. I don't know why I like that one so much. And I actually, I also miss Blockbuster. Um, and I wonder if I'm alone. Uh, in that. I miss like going with the family uh, to the uh, rental place and like walking through all the aisles and looking at all the boxes of the movies and then picking one out to rent. It is not as much fun uh, to uh, move your way through whatever the streaming app you have is to pick movies that way. It's way more fun uh, the other way. A woman uh, bought an expensive crystal wine glass when she turned 21, uh, then realized that drunk people in their 20s uh, tend to break stuff. So when she celebrated her 21st birthday, her friends uh, broke her really expensive wine glasses. Uh, that was on BuzzFeed. Uh, someone paid a website $10 for secrets on how to become a millionaire. Uh, they ended up getting a PDF with instructions on how to build a website and charge people $10, uh, promising them that you'll give them secrets on how to be a millionaire. So essentially, it was uh, literally exactly uh, what you would think of as far as a, um, a pyramid scheme type thing. There's something funny about that. I, I would find that funny if I spent $10 on and I wouldn't do this because that's not the right way to become a millionaire. You just got to buy Powerball and Mega Millions tickets. That's that's the road to go. Uh, but this road, if I spent 10 bucks and they're like all the secrets to being a millionaire right here and then you pay them the money and then the PDF says essentially how you yourself got tricked into giving someone $10 they don't deserve and you can do it to others. I would find that funny. I wouldn't try to scam other people, but I would find that amusing. Uh, but that's another one of the uh, bad stories out there today. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break in just a little bit. Uh, after the break, I will hopefully read more of your texts. I do see some coming in for some of the worst purchases you've made. Hopefully not in the last two days. Hopefully not uh, a way that you're celebrating Prime Day is by uh, making a regrettable purchase decisions. Oh, man, some of these are amazing. All right, actually, definitely uh, going to be reading uh, several different texts of people, someone who purchased a surfboard and had a regrettable experience with that, uh, all in just a bit. 1470, 100.3 WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Um, there was one more story for my top five at five I didn't get to because – I'm definitely missing on some. So these are the rest of the five at, at 540 or 530. I should start doing that every day if I miss out on the ones. I wanted to talk about just quickly that Northern Lights uh, won't be available in Michigan, even though they've been hyped up all week, I guess, due to a, a unique weather pattern. Uh, that's something you won't be able to see, uh, even though, and this happens a lot of places. It happens here uh, whenever we have any sort of um, 
anomaly or something that you can see in the sky. Like, oh, look out, see it, The this thing is going to happen. And then I guess they're just unlucky in how a couple things collide together. But you will not be able to see uh, the northern lights, even though uh, if the weathered patterns that are happening right now did exist, did not exist, uh, they would be amazingly uh, valuable. And they were talking about it for a while, and then it went the other way. Uh, I don't know why I find that so amusing. I just, I, you know what? I know why. I'll say this, and then I'll move on. But I wanted that to be one of my last uh, top five at five topics. It's because, and this might make people mad. I'm not sure. Uh, 309-340-4464. A text in if you get mad at me. 309-340-4464. All that stuff we talk about, the eclipses, all those things. They're never as good as the conversation going into them. That's at least my feeling. They're never as amazing, even people who love them. And I remember when I was in Chicago, Tom Skilling, a meteorologist up there, a very, very beloved guy uh, throughout a lot of Chicago, was so stunned by one of those amazing eclipses uh, that we had. Like, it was so miraculous, and he, he freaked out so much. And it was fun. It, it was cool. But I, I didn't think it was as earth-shatteringly special as I was told it was going to be for weeks, if not months. Uh, no offense to Tom Skilling. For him, it probably was amazing. That's his. That's in his wheelhouse. That's his jam, uh, the world of, of weather and whatnot. Uh, but I don't know. I just That's the thing, I think. And so when I saw the Northern Lights story, I was amused by it because uh, the people probably are missing out on less, at least according to me, uh, than they think they are. It's still cool. I'm not saying it's not cool. It's just not the, the deserving version of what people talk about. All right. Uh, two other stories uh, that I also think are, are um, valuable or important today. Uh, one of them is in Politico. It talks about how the Department of Justice is actually struggling to decide how to prosecute the former president while also shielding the former president from certain prosecution that they've long shielded all uh, presidents from. And it's, it's a pretty deep dive. And I know Politico leans to the left. On any of those bias charts, you can see them as a left-leaning news organization. Uh, but parts of this are pretty valuable in the world of, I think, Trump or, or someone who supports the former president or someone who just wonders how these are, things are working. So um, one of uh, the federal um, former federal prosecutors that they quoted said the Justice Department has the Hercule, Herculean uh, task of trying to put a ethical rope through a needle. Um, that's not going to work out. Um, because they're not doing that, actually, in my opinion. Uh, but they've, and not just Trump, uh, long prevented civil cases from being opened by people uh, against presidents who say that this thing you said or this thing you did or this decision you made and that office harmed me and I want money. I want sweet, sweet cash uh, for the thing that happened. Um, that is a long ongoing um, thing where the uh, Justice Department usually claims uh, that that person is above the law. Uh, that's the way that they say that you can't open civil cases against the former president. But now uh, they're stuck in this unique scenario where they themselves have decided to go after Trump during a presidential election, no less. And Trump, I talked about it earlier this week. I was saying at least delay it. You know, that's that's the funniest thing to me is that I think the coverage of that request uh, for some places was this is obviously an admission of guilt or or a demonstration of fear uh, in the court case. And it might be. I don't know. Uh, but what it actually is to me the request to delay any of these investigations and, and trials and whatnot uh, is a willingness to allow our election to be something that's not uh, influenced by the Department of Justice. You can still go after Trump. You can still put him in jail. You can still do all the things you want to do. Uh, you should just do it after the end of the election. And of course, if he gets elected, he would be able to prevent some of that stuff uh, anyway. 
And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm predicting the outcome of the cases uh, for anyone that might text and get mad. I just I genuinely don't get it. And I don't even mean I get it from a I love uh, the former president. Now I want to vote for him. And I'm afraid I can't vote for him if he's in jail. That's not where this is coming from. It is truthfully uh, there's no way to argue uh, that what's going on right now in our legal system is going to have an impact in our election. There's no way to argue it. And there are ways around having that be a component of trying Trump for um, keeping classified documents and choosing not to try the other people who also kept classified documents. But I digress. This is an even more interesting take to me uh, in Politico because say that uh, you break the camel's back on that other situation. Say someone somewhere makes an effective argument uh, based on what's going on uh, in other places um, that allows at least one of these cases, uh, a civil matter, uh, to go after a, a former president, uh, then, well, uh, pandemonium uh, exists. And so it, it's hard to make um, certain arguments in courtrooms and then point to precedent or lack thereof and something that's existed for a long time. And again, this isn't a left-leaning organization who wrote this piece, which is why I found it so fascinating, um, it, to, to point certain fingers, point certain directions, and then say all of that is essentially not important because, well, we need the rules to work both ways because uh, we want to try this case, but we don't want to try or deal with any of these other things. Uh, so I highly recommend people read that. And then one other one uh, is um, another of the extras after five uh, version of this segment, whatever I'm going to start calling this. I just thought this was uh, – I'm not shocked in this, actually, and I'll tell you the reason why. So the Ohio Medical Board had voted to take away a medical license from a plastic surgeon who was putting all of their surgeries up on social media, live streaming them on TikTok. Of course, uh, the medical license deserved to be removed. But what I'm not surprised at is that that story exists at all. Uh, The person went by Roxy Plastic Surgery on social media on TikTok, I think, Uh, mostly is where the the largest amount of the following was. And this is the culmination of, uh, I'd say, uh, generations, uh, maybe myself, but certainly after me, raised in social media and thinking I must do anything I can to be social media famous, to be a TikTok famous or whatever it is. Actually, there's there's a story in the New York Times. I thought this was really odd uh, that I saw this today about a comedian, a comedian that pops up way too much on a lot of people's social media account. My wife's TikTok account is one of the places he's definitely appeared more uh, than I'd like. The guy's name is Matt Reif. Uh, He's a young comedian uh, that, according to the New York Times, a year, two years ago, uh, was playing uh, clubs throughout the country and making like 70 bucks, like barely making any money at all. And then he became a overnight sensation, specifically on uh, TikTok. And now he's selling out giant arenas in just the time of a year. And so people who are raised and see that, see the influence of that, even the Logan Paul thing uh, that people are talking about right now. Uh, Logan Paul has this drink prime, and I think it's mostly um, Democratic politicians, but I'm sure Republicans would agree to portions of this too. Uh, but the drink is, is um, targeting kids because of the popularity of Logan Paul, uh, an Internet celebrity himself. And some of those um, drinks have a whole crap ton of caffeine in them, like 200 uh, milligrams of caffeine. Uh, which means that kids are even now potentially at risk of having like heart issues, uh, I think was the story out today. And they, they want this drink because the famous guy in, on social media told them to go buy it because he owns the company. And so I just think it's it's sort of inevitable uh, that as the the praise of social media uh, goes through the roof, especially with, with young people, 
uh, one of the more disturbing but also not shocking uh, things that I, I heard over the last year or two is that most kids, when asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, say a social media star, say a YouTube star, some kind of influencer is option number one. That's terrible. That is not good for us as a society. And again, I'm glad the plastic surgeon, to go back to the initial story, lost that they're, lost their medical license. But I am not even a little bit shocked that some plastic surgeon somewhere thought they would become an overnight sensation and maybe benefit themselves professionally by putting terribly intimate things uh, happening with patients that were completely knocked out uh, on the Internet for anybody to watch who felt like watching as a, a live stream. Eventually, everybody will just be walking down the street holding their phones up and live streaming everything, and uh, that'll be a terrible place to be in. And actually, I think the, the goggles we're supposed to wear on our faces are designed to get us to that point even quicker, which is why I don't like them. All right, quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff to talk about. Very little time. I left before Dave Ramsey takes over next. We'll, we'll do some news in about 10 minutes. I want to play uh, a video that was making the rounds on social media uh, from MSNBC, and it's supposed to be an outing of Fox News specifically and how quickly they have turned on Ron DeSantis. Uh, it shows um, early versions of conversations about Ron DeSantis, I think January, February of this year, and how great he is. And then it contrasts them with other uh, Fox News people uh, saying the exact opposite thing over the last month or so. And the intention of this is to, I think, demonstrate or at least claim to demonstrate um, to the uh, left-leaning uh, people that watch MSNBC. It's a very far-left uh, version of news, even more so than CNN. Um, but what I think it's intent to do is, is say, see, Republicans are just full of crap. Uh, they're they're uh, people who outright just make stuff up. I, I think that's the goal. And so I want to play the audio, and then I want to react to it and tell you what I actually hear and see in it and how I'm actually someone who uh, soured on uh, DeSantis in ways. Uh, I still think he'd probably be a good politician uh, and certainly has been a politician, an effective politician, whether you hate the decisions he's made or, or like them, effective politician in Florida, to say the very least, and someone who was overwhelmingly reelected uh, in that state as the governor there. Uh, so again, if you were just like looking at the, the success record at that time, uh, it was very, very good. You can hate him. You can think every policy he creates in Florida is is the worst thing ever. Um, but he he was winning and he was putting wins up on on the um, scoreboard on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, including uh, the overwhelming amount of people who reelected him uh, as the leader of their state. Uh, but anyway, I want to play all this because then I want to say how this is actually good and not hypocrisy at work. But here we go. Santos is like a 10 and 0 team. OK, he's got a booming economy and more people are moving there than any other state in the country. Ron DeSantis also just lacks a lot of the charisma that we see from other candidates. Molly, you know, he is the star right now. Is he the new leader of the Republican Party? We got to do an intervention. He doesn't have the campaign skills. He is uh, talking about failure to launch. We've not seen that from a governor or even, frankly, a senator, have that kind of strength this early in a, in a presidential primary. You're down over 30 points to Trump. What's your strategy for catching up? By the way, that question is actually asked directly to DeSantis on Fox Business. Um, here's why this is actually a good and why what's going on with the uh, president right now with Biden and all the overwhelming polls that say that Democrats don't want Biden to be the, the politician is bad. Uh, it's because if you're someone 
or if you're a, a group of people, uh, say, politically aligned on the left or the right, uh, who acknowledge when missteps occur, when people aren't, aren't rising to the occasion, aren't doing a good job. I mean, even DeSantis's failure for Twitter and how he announced his campaign after taking so long uh, to say that he was running when people were basically begging him to, at least uh, lots of media apparently was, uh, back in January and February. Uh, when all that occurs and then eventually you, you acknowledge uh, the elephant in the room, if that's what you want to call it, uh, when things aren't going great, that's the opposite of, of biased media to me. That's the opposite of – and I, honestly, there were a lot of people that were trashing uh, former President Trump uh, back in January and February, and Fox News still seems to desire to talk negatively more so than positively about the former president uh, because I think there's a lot of people that believe, even on the conservative side of the aisle, that Trump won't win in a general election. I hear that in a lot of uh, conservative media places. But I think being a never Trumper or an always Trumper or a never one politician, always politician, I think it's flawed no matter who it is. I think all the politicians probably shouldn't be, you know, a team of their own, no matter how much you like somebody, no, how, no matter how much you think uh, they stand on their own. And I, I get it. I know the arguments that could be made specifically about the former president. But I, but I do think a willingness to ride the hot hand. Uh, if that's how you want to say it, the sports analogy uh, makes sense in the world of politics. Uh, people just want to win. Uh, they want their party in charge. They want the other party to lose. Uh, that's, I think, the in intention of having a political party in the first place. And so if the byproduct of, say, being overly supportive of one candidate on, on this team and then none of the candidates that are also on the team, if your guy doesn't win, is letting the other team win, and that usually is considered worse um, and honestly, that, that really, to me, goes to the, the sports world, because like every so often, uh, let's use the world of basketball, uh, someone just plays out of their mind. Someone just seems so much. Actually, an even better example recently in the world of baseball, Domingo Herman, a Yankee pitcher who pitched a perfect game. He has not been perfect game quality a lot of this season and a lot of the past couple seasons. But all of a sudden you put everything together and you crush an entire game and you wind up admittedly against a bad baseball team, uh, doing something that very few pitchers have ever done. That's riding the hot hand. I think that's what uh, some of the political analysis is. And then the refusal to turn the other way, if things aren't going the right way, is something you're seeing much more in the Democratic Party right now. Uh, there are a lot of people, uh, whether you listen to this radio show or not, uh, whether you, um, you know, turn on certain channels or other channels on TV, uh, that will inevitably vote Democrat that would very much like Biden to not be our president again. Every data point tells us that he is not uh, approved of by a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of um, likely voters who say they're open to other candidates on the Democratic side of the aisle. And yet those things seem to be uh, blatantly ignored uh, by that political party. And I don't think uh, those things were ignored as much by Republicans, especially Republicans who are willing to question uh, if uh, DeSantis were a better option than Trump, uh, given Trump's overwhelming popularity uh, and long term popularity for a lot of the Republican Party. And again, sort of pivoting that. And I've even heard Mark Lee Van Camp Robbins uh, talk about it that way. Uh, can Trump win the suburban uh, female voter? Uh, is that someone that can be uh, convinced to vote this way and not that way? I think all those things actually enhance uh, the conversation within a political party and uh, not the opposite. Anyway, there was a long rant on that. Uh, quickly, a couple other things that I think are interesting. Uh, there's this article in the New York Post about millennial gray. Uh, apparently, a lot of people in my generation don't like putting color inside their homes. So everything is very cold, very dreary, um, very much just gray. And I, I did, did not notice that. 
Uh, my wife decorated my entire house. I can't tell you my color scheme right now on the radio, not inside my home. If you ask me, does my house have a color scheme? I'd say maybe. I'd be like, possibly. It could be a thing. I didn't really focus on it. wasn't wasn't an area of um, of concern for me. Uh, but apparently, according to some, uh, millennials are bad at this. Uh, so we've we've ruined another thing. Uh, we've broken something else. And I I accept that. I'm fine with that. I don't care. I, I like the fact that I have a house. However, it's decorated is up to somebody else. It doesn't matter. And actually, that that brings up uh, one last thing I wanted to throw out there. And it's just at the end of the show. Uh, so answer me, please, on my social media page, facebook.com uh, slash Craig Collins Show, or uh, you can text me, uh, 309-340-4464, 309-340-4464. As I said, I didn't decorate almost any of my house. Uh, Betty was 100% in charge, and then I didn't care. It wasn't like I wanted to fight her for it. I, I do not care at all. Um, but the question was asked on social media recently, and a lot of people are giving pretty funny answers to it. Uh, what's something in your house that is forbidden, even though you own the home? Is it forbidden by a family member? Is it forbidden by, say, a parent? Or is it forbidden by a significant other? In my case, I have one easy one to throw out there that is definitely forbidden. And if I do it, it makes Betty very sad. And that's, I think, why she wins in some of the conversations we have. She never, like, yells at me and screams at me. She just seems sad. She's disappointed like hurt like a puppy, and I don't want to do that, uh, but it's forbidden to wear shoes in my house. That is a forbidden thing. You come outside from inside, you got the shoes on with the outside on them. She doesn't want them on the inside. She doesn't want that going on, so you got to take them off. Everyone takes them off. It's a whole thing. We have a whole, uh, and I know a lot of people do this, uh, but that immediately is what I thought of when I saw that go viral of something in your home, even though I own my home, and I know Betty does too. We own it together, uh, but she's made that rule, and that's a forbidden, 